Welcome to the Masturbation Education episode with Vic Liu. My name is Elle Stanger. I will be your host. I'm a certified sex educator and longtime sex worker coming to you from the Pacific Northwest. We're going to talk about sex and things all over the world, one guest at a time. Right now, I have Vic Liu. You can find them at Bang for All on which platform? On Instagram. What was the inspiration for writing this book? Because this book, your book, first of all, Bang, Masturbation for People of All Genders and Abilities by Vic Liu. You got a nice little uh, pull quote from Annie Sprinkle on the cover. Bang is agasmic, puts masturbation masterpieces on your coffee table. What was the inspiration for writing this, Vic? Well, I don't know about you, but my high school sex ed was pretty useless when it comes to navigating the real complex messiness of sex as an adult. It's this lasting image of my high school sex ed teacher squeezing a banana and a condom until it exploded into the condom and a picture of a, a very intense case of chlamydia through this like extremely dark and depressing gallery of medical images of STIs. Neither of those are extremely helpful for navigating positive sexual experiences in college <laughs> or throughout your life. No. Um, and that continued. That continued to be the case in college. So there is this wall in the student health center of all these pamphlets that had all this like 90s word art that was super cheery and said things like, So you're gay. How do you tell your parents? You know, and like, how do you tell your partner that you have HIV? Um, You have herpes. Now what? And it's all these like question answer Mm -hmm. sort of situations. But none of them were actually about how to talk about pleasure, how to talk about consent, how to get comfortable with your body, how to ask your partner for what you needed or what you want. And that was a huge hole in the sex ed of not only me, but also a lot of the people I talked to. Um, And Mm -hmm. the problem is when you rob people of the language to navigate just normal sexual encounters, you really put them at risk of having their sexual consent violated or just not even having the tools to like really build a positive sex experience or sexual journey for themselves. Um, mm-hmm. there's a couple of things you said that come up where you said the like worst case chlamydia, you know, experiences like, like I had chlamydia. It's the only, um, time I had to take an antibiotic for an STI so far. Like I very may well get it again, but it's funny because like when they show, STI outbreaks, they show like, and you know, this like long-term untreated severe, right worst case. So people think like, oh, if I don't have that happening to me, I obviously don't have an STI. But like what, up to 90% of people never experience symptoms for STIs anyway? Right. Totally fair point. Um, Nice moment to remind everyone to always get checked um, and do a full screening Mm -hmm. and do your due diligence for asking your partners, even though it's extremely uncomfortable. (laughs) What do you ask for when you get a screening? Because I personally will ask for gonorrhea, chlamydia, syphilis. I don't ask for herpes because they're inconclusive. And I already know I have simplex one because I get oral sores, a.k.a. cold sores. 
Um, and I've never had symptoms of a genital outbreak. So the general recommendation is like, if you don't think you have it, you might as well not get tested, which I know some people debate about. But like when you say full screening, oh, and I ask for HIV. I do the same. Um, what would you consider a full screening for yourself? I do the yeah. same. I think the general panel and also the herpes test is so messy. I actually had um, a scare story where a partner of mine got the herpes test and thought that he had herpes. And then it turned out to be a false positive. Um, mm -hmm. So that was like two weeks of fretting. <laughs> Right. Um, and yeah. you're probably like, oh, what kind of sex can we have now? Or how does this impact me? Right. Um, and just how does it change your entire life navigating sex after that? And of course, herpes is completely livable and there's way too much stigma about herpes. Um, but it does change how you navigate things. Definitely. I have a friend. Uh, he has the Something Positive for Positive People podcast that is a mouthful Courtney Brame <laughs> I definitely recommend anybody look into him uh, that's a good resource so where do you can I ask whereabouts you are in the world I am currently in Boulder for uh, another hot month and then I'm moving to Minneapolis so it's it's a time of change as it is with everyone vaccination spring is yeah. just change for everyone <laughs> yeah totally I felt so much better after I got vaccinated um, what is, what, I want to learn a little bit more about you, Vic, what is your identity, like orientation, background, age, anything you'd like to share? Sure. Um, I, well, I, I, um, currently am finding a nice little home in being a genderless worm. I'm not really <laughs> sure where I fall. <laughs> Um, I, I don't think I'm quite pre prepared to claim a label of non-binary. I do think I'm not quite a cis woman. Um, mm -hmm. and I think that it, it, honestly, one of the best things out of quarantine has been being able to kind of just occupy this unseen space that's really intimate and private and is more about how I identify and how I feel rather than how everyone else sees me. Um, mm. I've been calling it quarantine. <laughs> yes. Oh my gosh. That's delightful. <laughs> yeah. So that's me. Um, I am very, very, I'm 25. I'm very, very nerdy. Uh, my background is actually in international relations. Um, and I pivoted to graphic design because I believe that the world of text is extremely elitist. I think that we embed so much valuable information in words, which it, it cuts mm. out so many people, not not even from language wise, but it, it's just a comfort level, right? And especially when you have a lot of the writers of books and policy papers, et cetera, trained in elitist institutions, it, it really locks away a lot of the information that I think can make life better for a lot of people. Um, so mm -hmm. I pivoted to graphic design because I think that it can take information and make it intuitive. So you can really communicate more from like visual diagrams or colors. Um, you can really communicate a whole mood. It gives you a, the opportunity to do a non-linear way of communicating as well. So if you think about text, you're reading this narrative, right? You go from point A to point B. Um, but with graphic design, you can have the viewer decide where to interact with the page. 
Um, and I brought that to mm. masturbation and sex ed because I think that reading a dry document about masturbation in text works for some people, <laughs> but it's not uh, approachable. <laughs> it's like dry masturbation works for some people too, but it's not approachable for everyone. Right, either. right. I, so that's funny you say that. I love that you say that about the graphic design and I can see it in the book because I'm holding it in my hands right now. And I was really interested in how this design was so much more artistic and dynamic uh, than most books I've seen. So that makes sense. Uh, also, someone told me recently, and somebody else, please look this up, <laughs> but they said the average reader, <laughs> the average reader in America has like a sixth grade, like reading comprehension level. So you should write to that. Yeah. And I thought that actually makes sense because how often have I opened like a medium piece or something? And I'm like, damn, I went to college, but this is like, you're trying too hard to sound <laughs> fancy. Simplify. Please simplify. More people will learn. Well, I really like hearing all that about you. And that's that's like design activism. I, I think that's, yeah, it is. That's kind of my modus operandi for life. <laughs> Hell yeah. Okay. So let's get back to masturbation. I could never get that far away from masturbation. I am a chronic <laughs> masturbator. I like, it's Keeps I think me most sane. people are, I will say. <laughs> you know, but like, I don't have any shame, I guess, and neither do you. I know it keeps me well. Um, so the perks of playing, can I read a little bit from the book? Yeah, go for it. Yeah. So what masturbation can do for you, strengthen tone in pelvic and anal areas, including the pelvic floor. This is great for people who've given birth. We don't do a lot of like aftercare for birthing people. Uh, number two, improve sexual stamina if you practice delaying orgasm, also known as edging. <laughs> Three, can relieve muscle tension and menstrual cramps by relaxing the pelvic muscles. I'll just slam through some more of these. Reduces stress, tension from headaches and neck pain. Can help you sleep by releasing serotonin and endorphins. Masturbation can improve circulation to your pelvic area, can improve self-esteem and body image, can help you out with your sexual relations. <laughs> you say, let's put it this way. If you learn how your body works, you can tell your partner exactly what they're doing right and what they haven't figured out, all without the risks of STIs or pregnancy. Very cool. I did not grow up with a lot of myths around masturbation, but some people did. I found this fun little list on gstherapycenter.com. You can become, okay, so a lot of people feel that when you have a partner, you don't need to masturbate. Have you heard this one before? Have you experienced any of this before? I feel like ugh, that one is so pervasive. It, it's not even just if you have a partner, you don't need to masturbate. Masturbation has become kind of the antithesis of what we think sex and an active sexual life looks like, right? Masturbation somewhere in people's minds has become the thing you you have to do if you don't have a person to have sex with. And that is so useless <laughs> as a myth. It's stressful and it's <laughs> false. And it's, um, it's just such a, uh, it's really unfortunate, honestly. Um, because the thing is, masturbation and sex are partners. They're they're two things that go together, but they don't cancel each other out. 
And Mm -hmm. masturbation is an amazing tool for figuring out your relationship, right? Mm -hmm. So if you have a different libido than your partner, are you really going to rob yourself of this tool to kind of even things out? Um, And also like asking how your partner masturbates is one of the best ways to figure out how to improve your sex life, right? Like Mm -hmm. you, it, it's a treasure trove of information. Um, and hiding it from other people thinking about it as a red flag. I think it just results in not only robbing you of tools for your relationship, but also a really isolating, um, experience right like you have to be secretive about something that you're doing with yourself or you have to be ashamed it's funny how shame just like follows you around throughout life you just you never really get rid of it it pops up in different areas and you have to continually put in work to kind of interrogate what your assumptions are those are really really good reminders for the audience and for both of us definitely Um, some of these myths are related to relationships some are just like bad medical like non-medical advice like (laughs) I'm looking at this list again if you masturbate while in a relationship something is wrong with the relationship some people think that um, if your partner is masturbating that means you aren't enough Um, which like a lot of people I know that I masturbate because I know it's reliable and I also don't have to like bother anyone else (laughs) for their energy you know (laughs) Like, I can feed myself. I will cook for myself if I can feed myself. I don't need to ask someone to do it for me. Uh, Masturbation will cause health problems. This seems like it was more pervasive like a century ago based on what I hear. I don't meet that many people who still believe this. I would agree with that. I think that, well, except it does slip in in some areas, right? Like there is maybe an unsaid stigma of masturbating on your period right while you're menstruating it's really as like yeah really I, I've seen this um in in like more quiet areas it's not like anyone's like publishing an article about this these days uh but it, it's this idea of it's unhealthy or unsanitary to masturbate while you're menstruating um and I think well there is <laughs> I know right um god you you gotta love how stigma sneaks into every corner of your life. <laughs> and then, I mean, periods can be really gross, but bodies can be gross. Please go on. I mean, I mean anything can be gross. We poop every day and we can't yeah. handle some blood like once a month. <laughs> oh my God. I pooped twice today already. It's not even noon. Like, <laughs> Congratulations. It's been a productive day. <laughs> so far, so good. Things are moving right along. <laughs> Okay, the period one. That's interesting. I'll have to look for that. Um, I really appreciated the historical facts about masturbation that you threw in the book. And you and I interact a little bit on social media. And there was a naysayer because I shared the thing, which I also cross-referenced about in ancient uh, Egyptian times, like part of their creation story was Atom masturbated the other gods into existence. Um, and someone's like, that's not true. And then thank goodness you looked it up and a couple other people looked it up. They're like, I'm an Egyptologist. Yes, this is a true <laughs> fact. Cause it sounds so outlandish, you know, compared to like our origin story. We have a virgin. I, when I say our, I mean, America's like evangelicals right, right, and the Catholics where it's like, oh, we had a virgin birth Messiah. And the Egyptians are like, no, <laughs> Atom nutted all of us into existence. Like deal with it. Um, 
You also wrote in here the ancient Greek physician Hippocrates and the ancient Roman physician Galen believed masturbation was essential to remove unused seed in order to avoid blockages in the human bodily system. Uh, he he also proposed masturbation as a remedy for insanity in women. Well, <laughs> besides the misogyny, I will say it does help. <laughs> it, it depends on how you define insanity, right? I mean, I, yeah. I think like recently I've been embracing um, the idea that, and this is a bit of an aside, but it relates to my general history nerd-ish qualities. But if you think about it, the whole Salem witch trial or this hatred of mostly women witches it it falls along the lines of misogyny of a woman just knowing what's going to go on and predicting something bad happening and people hating that right um Mm. and insanity is maybe this woman these women that galen were studying were just angry and pent up and horny might have been the case I think the Greeks and the Romans treated women like crap too. So, (laughs) but at least they were for masturbation. (laughs) Yeah. Oh my gosh. Um, So, Vic Liu, everyone go look up at Bang for All. And we're going to take a quick break. Ioba Toys is the creator of the super silent sex toys, the Oh My G and the Oh My C. The Oh My G is a G-spot massager with three intensity levels, a massaging pearl, and a unique C-shape made to precisely hit the G-spot. The Oh My C is a clitoral massager with a rotating massaging pearl that mimics a tongue or fingers, also known as oral sex, and it fits in the palm of your hand. Both toys are super silent and come in pink or white. Try code L. 30 for 30% off on iobatoys.com. Do you have sex questions? Do you want help learning new techniques, communicating with a partner, opening a relationship, or exploring kink? Sex and intimacy coach Stella Harris can help. Book a session now to take your intimate life to the next level. Listeners of this podcast receive 20% off their first session with code TTS. Learn more and schedule at www.stellaharris.net or follow her on Instagram at Stella Harris Erotica. Welcome back to They Talk Sex podcast. Our guest is Vic Liu. They wrote the book Bang, Masturbation for People of All Genders and Abilities. It is now out, published through Microcosm Publishing in Portland, Oregon. So let's take our first listener question. What can I do to increase sensitivity in my vulva? Um, I think my first thought is always approach everything to do with your body with kindness. And I know that sounds kind of woo-woo, but the thing is like we all have different bodies and sensitivity varies from person to person and it will change a lot over your lifetime so through menopause if you give birth uh, things can really change as you go through life and the vulva is not the only place to experience pleasure Um, Mm -hmm. so I think approaching it with curiosity and kindness really goes a long way especially there's nothing like pressure to kill a sexy vibe um, so mm-hmm. one great way to kind of just 
figure out what's going on is if you want to try new toys or try new sensations, uh, sometimes it really helps kick our brain into um, different ways of interpreting what's going on. So it it's, has been shown that so much of our sexual experience has to do with the way that our brain is interpreting what's going on, right? So, I mean, everyone knows this intuitively, but mm-hmm. if you really stimulate your vulva in a different way that can um how do i say this that can that can stimulate different nerves so that will change the way that your brain is interpreting um what is going on so that might increase your sensitivity if you're used to a certain toy or you're used to a certain motion switching it up can really change your awareness of um masturbation or sexuality mhm or even switching your hands is or a brain that. exercise. And you might not like it, but I do it every once in a while. Um, this is a really random thought. I love all of that, by the way. Um, exercise, like depending on your ability of mobility, whether that means stretching or jogging, I always like to recommend like getting your blood flowing before you're trying to get sexual anyway, because you're probably going to optimize your sensation. That's a fun tip. Um, I like that. Thank you. Thank you. Something also I noticed, and this is not for everyone, and shaving is a pain in the butt. When I first started shaving my labia, I would self-lubricate. And not because I was aroused, but because I was like having physical reactions. So like arousal non-concordance is what they call it. But some people like to trim or just change their body hair length. That can mix things up. Changing temperatures. I'm not saying like put ice on your vulva, but playing with heat or cold can Mm -hmm. be really stimulating. I do that just to my face, just to wake my face up, you know. I think also just taking the pressure off your vulva um, in terms of playing with different areas of your body at the same time. I think like it's so easy to psych yourself out if you're going into this, like, is my vulva sensitive? It's, it's going to be a really hard, uh, emotional situation to relax. Mm -hmm. Yep. Totally. Let's see. Listener question number two. God, I get this one a lot. So this must be normal. Is it normal to cry or get suicidal after orgasming? Related to that, is it bad to masturbate or self-soothe as a coping mechanism when I'm suicidal? I'll just say real quick, no, it is not bad to masturbate or self-soothe as a coping mechanism. I've been doing it all the time. (laughs) And it's like what gets me through the day and keeps me sane. I think I said this earlier. So is it normal to cry or get suicidal after orgasming? Vic, what do you think? Yes, 1000% is absolutely normal. It's called postcoital tristesse. There's even a fancy term for it. It's been documented since the ancient Romans, actually. Um, the idea behind it, they're like all forms of sexuality and things to do with sex, there isn't enough research into it. But generally, the hypothesis is that when your body orgasms, you get this huge flood of endorphins, so dopamine um, and oxytocin. Um, And after that, you come down. So that drop is what you're feeling. And dropping like that will often lead to um, feeling slightly depressed, slight feelings of despair. It happens about 20% of the time. 
Um, so wow. totally normal, totally normal. And in terms of is it bad to masturbate, masturbate or self-soothe, I think it – I guess bad is oh for me bad is a word that we should really interrogate, right? Um, is it serving its purpose? Mm-hmm. Is it making you feel better? How is it affecting you, right? Is it helping or hurting? Um, I mm-hmm. think it's really effective for a lot of people because it in- releases endorphins and oxytocin. As I said, it's a lot like exercise. So just like some people will use exercise as a mental health coping mechanism, you can definitely use masturbation. Um, That being said, I have clinical depression and sometimes in my more depressive episodes, I do avoid masturbation because I know that the PCT will just be so much more difficult for me to deal with. So it's really about listening to how wow. it serves you individually. That's that's really, really insightful. Dang. Okay, well, good. We covered that. Here is one that I have a funny little short story. Can long-term anal play be damaging? Listener question three. Can long-term anal play be damaging? <laughs> um, I'm really excited about your short story. <laughs> <laughs> So I have done all types of sex work in adult entertainment for, I've been naked on the internet since 2005. I am currently back to working in strip clubs. I was watching another dancer dance and she bent over and I saw her butthole and her vulva and I had a thought and I tried to not attach judgment to it, but my thought was, hmm, her butthole looks very, very relaxed. And I am curious as to if that's the natural state of her butthole or if she's been like putting a bunch of stuff in there. And so I'm talking to her later in the shift and she says, yeah, normally I wear my butt plug, but it's not busy enough in here right now. And I remember to a conversation I had with a doctor because I specifically got this question, is it damaging to wear a butt plug all the time? So all the time, yes, the doctor said you have sphincters that want to open and close as a part of the natural, like their function. Wearing a butt plug for a few hours a day, it depends, once a week, couple times a week, but maybe wearing like a weighted one and dancing with it like for hours, multiple times a week is not going to allow your sphincters to do their job. So what I want to say to can long-term anal play be damaging? All things in moderation. I would recommend. And if you are repeatedly hurting your body, like if you're having some kind of sexual play and you're experiencing blood and pain, I'd say you're probably hurting yourself. You want to stop doing what you're doing. Um, And then just check in with your body too. I did not tell the girl her butthole looked relaxed and she needs to stop wearing her butt plug because we don't know each other well (laughs) enough. Maybe I'll send her this episode. (laughs) That's my thoughts on that. Vic, what do you think? At the same time, if she likes her butthole relaxed, you know, that's up to her. Um, I don't want poop on the stage. I do not want it. <laughs> I, we know the stage is dirty, but like the less people matter, the better, please. That is fair, especially when you're sharing a stage with someone. Um, I Thank think you. at the worst, the most common worst side effect is anal leakage, um, which is mm-hmm. not necessarily someone something that a lot of people want to sign up for. At the same time, for most people, anal play is something that happens in the bedroom and is really wonderful and um, adds a lot to your sexual experience. And for the most part, 
anal play is not going to harm your anus. Your anus is a very strong and wonderful muscle um, and it will go back to normal. I think one of the biggest things is, like you said, listening to your body. So if things hurt, that's your body telling you something and you shouldn't ignore that um, by any means. That is also a good reason to avoid anal numbing creams. That Anal numbing creams are so dangerous. Mm-hmm. It, it means that you're silencing mm-hmm. your body's pain signals, which means that you could really hurt yourself without knowing um, what's happening. And also, if you're numbing your butt, then what are you doing down there anyways if you can't feel anything? Mm-hmm. That's hopefully you're not just doing it because your partner is like, oh, come on, babe, it'll be great. And you're like, right. oh, I guess I have to get through this and just like numb my orifices. Oh, also lube. Welcome to my 20s. Also, don't numb the back of your throat either. Yeah, also lube. Your, your butt does not. Yeah, d- we shouldn't be right. numbing. You said it. <laughs> your butt does not provide um, lubrication as most vaginas do. Not all vaginas. Let's normalize non-lubrication. Um, some vaginas. Um, So as some vaginas lubricate, Mm -hmm. no butts lubricate. (laughs) That's going to be the sentence of the day for me. That'll be the title of the episode. (laughs) No butts lubricate. No. (laughs) (laughs) This is good advice, though. So I think we can move on. Let's see. Listener question number four. How can I increase my sensitivity um, due to the SSRIs I take. So disclaimer, neither L or I um, are experts in SSRIs, um, but I do take an SSRI because, again, clinical depression. And I remember that my uh, psychologist gave me a whole range of meds, and most of them do affect uh, orgasms or sexual sensitivity, which sucks. Mm -hmm. It sucks a lot. Um, it sucks that when you're doing something that's really good for your mental health, you suffer in a different way. And usually a lot of people have had to take a long journey to get to a place where they're at peace, um, or experiencing joy in their sexual identity. So to have that taken away just sucks, Mm -hmm. period. Um, I would say talk to your doctor. Uh, talk to your doctor about maybe lowering your dosage if this is really important to you or even switching meds. So I am taking a combination medication right now because that allows me to not experience sexual side effects, but that does mean I'm taking two pills instead of one. Um, And another thing is scheduling your masturbation. So if you take your pills once a day or twice a day, that means that you're going to have a higher deposit of these hormones um, in your body at different periods of time. So experimenting with when you masturbate or when you have sex can really have an effect on your body's sensitivity because of the different levels of the hormones that are in your body at the time of day. And also, like, overall, just be kind to yourself. Totally. Yes. Like, you're doing the thing, and it's hard, and it sucks, and don't pressure yourself Mm -hmm. to orgasm. This is great advice. Listener question number five. Why can't I, this is related, why can't I get off without a toy, and I never can despite many attempts? Well, toys make things a lot easier because like if they vibrate, then they stimulate deeper (laughs) and further and increase the blood flow. 
um, take a break from your toy. The way it's been explained and taught to me is that your brain wants to feel good. Your body wants to feel good. So it's going to figure out the fastest way to do that. So for me, that's like sitting on my vibrator and humping it into oblivion. And I'm like, oh, I came. Cool. This is an entirely lazy way to do things. It's how I do things. (laughs) Um, Sometimes I realize that I have a heck of a time having an orgasm with especially a new partner, but that's not unusual also, or just even my hands. So I would say if you have a toy that you really, really like, take a long break from it. Go for like a month. Challenge yourself. Or maybe try a different toy, which is kind of something you said earlier in the beginning, Vic, when we talked about what can I do to increase sensitivity in my vulva. And you're like, well, maybe try different kinds of stimulation. Yeah, I think that is all great advice. I think I think also it, this is valuable information, right? So spending the time to really think about why, like what your emotional experience mm. with a toy is also might help. Um So scientifically, the way that orgasm and sexual arousal works is it's this term called entrainment. Um, The idea is that you slowly descend into a sexual frame of mind where, first of all, I mean, a lot of people experience this, but people are pretty single-minded and stupid when it, when they get really, really aroused. Um, that is actually part of entrainment because <laughs> your brain is ditching everything except for the sexual mm. act. But on the other side, attention is kind of like a spotlight, right? So if you have other things on your brain, if you are ruminating about things, if you have an ongoing self um, narrative or sexual narrative that is distracting from what is happening sexually, then that's going to make it a little bit harder for you to really get absorbed and like get into mm-hmm. the moment. That can happen if you have baggage, um, which most of us do, about touching your genitals. It's a lot easier to just like press a button and come rather than like having to interact with all of those like different um, subconscious thoughts about like, how is my genitals feeling? You know, like, um, how are we doing down there? Does that feel like this? Am I doing it right? Blah, 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 blah. Like, um, how should I move my finger? It's great. It's also more difficult than using a vibrator. Um, so if you want to encounter and go on that journey, to me, it's kind of like, um, (laughs) to me, it's kind of like the difference between driving to work versus walking to work, right? Like driving to work is very dependable and it will get you there. You also won't necessarily experience like the, the smell of the air as you're walking. Um, but also it's a lot easier to drive. So, you Mm. know, drive if you want to. (laughs) That's a really good analogy. I really like that. Thanks. Yeah, like maybe a toy is the fastest way to get there, but perhaps not the most intimate or sensual in terms of like walking. When I walk somewhere, yeah, I get to look around the neighborhood and see what's going on and what's growing. And what- <laughs> So yeah, sitting on my vibrator and like humping it is definitely like getting into the car mode versus like feeling with my fingers. So good one. Thank you for your help on that. I also, um, when you talk about hangups or baggage, for me, that could be something like, oh, the room is a mess. Like <laughs> I can't even get into like a masturbation fantasy headspace because I'm I'm like on my bed and I'm looking around the room and that's when I'm like, okay, 
change the lighting, turn off the lights. For some people, I I really am a fan of like sensory adjustment. So if like, for example, if you're like, oh, I don't like my body when I have sex, turn all the lights out because maybe you just want to feel and not see or be seen. Uh, so playing with our senses, I think, is always a good one. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, so listener question number six, I'm confused about why some orgasms feel like halfgasms. So cute. I'm going to get so nerdy on this one. Are you ready? <laughs> Please. So ready. I'm so ready. <laughs> so the current scientific definition of orgasms has to do with a graph of the oxytocin and um and your endorphin levels. So it goes up and up and up as you get more aroused. And then the orgasm is kind of at the top of the roller coaster ride, right? When you're just going to go down from there because you get this huge extra um, dump of endorphins and then you go crashing down. <laughs> mm-hmm. So that point, that um, that climax, it's called a climax also <laughs> for that reason, um, that's your orgasm. And it usually comes with uh, other physical signals like slight muscle contractions um, in the pelvic area. So this question, I think it refers to having a lower peak, um, mm-hmm. but... There are also other ways to measure orgasms. So you can think about it in terms of the area underneath the curve. Again, sorry, really, really nerdy. Um, you can think about it in terms of how many, uh, how mu- much endorphins your body has experienced over the stretch of your masturbation, right? Or you can think about it as how intense that climax is, like how what that final dump of um, endorphins does for you. Um, Reaching a higher Mm. level of endorphins there has to do with so many things (laughs) in your life. Um, So maybe you're tired. Um, Maybe you're distracted again. Like maybe the Mm. room is messy. Um, Maybe you're a little bit low on your bodily supply of endorphins. So your body did a dump of all the endorphins you have, but you just don't have that many that day. Totally fine. Totally normal. Um, And I think accepting that, accepting the normalcy of that um, means that you can kind of play around with the different kinds of orgasms you have. Like maybe some days you'll have a really intense one. Some days you'll have like not as an intense one. Um, that's okay. Like that's completely okay. Some days I want three shots of espresso and some days I want one. Right. <laughs> hmm. Hmm. Totally. Yeah. I think what we're talking about is just like a range and a spectrum, like so many other things. Like why is my appetite so much stronger right now? Um, I'm also a parent. My, my child is nine. We were driving in the car the other day and we I'd done a bad parenting job that day of uh, not feeding <laughs> us well. It had been like four or five hours. We were both starving. So I got us food and I was thinking, I'm like eating, we're eating. I'm like, oh my God, this, bur- is so- this burger is so much better than like the last burger I had from this place. And I know that they're the same, but I'm just so hungry. And my child says, hey, mommy, did you ever notice that food tastes so much better when you're hungry? <laughs> and I was like, wow, that's like a really deep thought because <laughs> I'm also experiencing kind of a dry sex spell right now. So I've just been like thinking about like, man, I really want to 
have sex again? And isn't it going to be so something I don't take for as much? I took for granted. I won't take for as much granted when I can start being sexually partnered again. So, okay. So, yeah. There is actually a nerdy explanation for that as well. <laughs> please, please. Um, so if you think about it, your nerves are kind of like pathways from your body to your brain. And they can get worn down. Um, I mean, they'll repair themselves. But they're kind of like highways or roads. They, they can get worn down if you use the same path of nerves over and over and over again. But if you get give it a little bit of time, those nerves are super, super sensitive um, after they haven't been uh, lit up for some time. So, wow, yeah, it makes total sense. Dang. Well, I don't know about you. I just, well, I know about you. You know a lot. I just <laughs> learned a bunch of stuff and I hope our listeners did too. Let's take another break. Hey there. Do you want to help people and make money doing it? Becoming a coach might be your ticket. The coaching industry is currently filled with a lot of straight white coaches and working with straight white people who have the privilege to hire them. The Coaching Guild is changing that. The Coaching Guild is looking for diverse people with diverse experiences and backgrounds who want to get university-level training to become a coach. This is not a shortcut certification program. This is intense training for the real world. They are looking for the artists, the rebels, and the wild ones. You can change the world one client at a time and make money doing it. Visit www.thecoachingguild.com. Do you have a sensitive vulva or vagina? Me too. People with vaginas will experience at least one yeast infection in their lifetime, and many folks like myself get them every time the seasons change. As someone who relies on their vaginal health for their personal and professional wellness, I use Momotaro Apotheca solutions for preventing bacterial vaginosis or yeast infection. Their products also serve urinary tract infections, postpartum care issues, aftercare, and general irritation from sex, clothing, and exercise. I love these things. I use them to shorten my healing time or prevent irritation. Use Stripperwriter for a discount code and check out their affiliated CBD products at Oshihana.com. That's MomotaroApotheca.com and Oshihana.com. Welcome back to They Talk Sex podcast. I have Vic Lou with me who wrote the book, Bang! Masturbation for People of All Genders and Abilities. So I asked my some of my social media audience uh, on Instagram. Currently, I'm on there at stripperwriter. If I get kicked off again, I will not be surprised. I asked folks, what have you masturbated with? Can I read some of these, Vic? Yeah, I'm excited. A sword. <laughs> oh, I hope it's not the sharp end. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, hairbrush with a condom on it when I was young. Normal, nice normal. I, I think that's yeah. hairbrushes are either used for singing in or masturbating with when you're younger. Uh, yeah, and spanking. <laughs> like the nice kind of spanking. My cousin masturbated with a carrot once. She said she felt closer to the earth. Did she Ecosexual. eat it afterwards? I always wonder what you do with the vegetable. <laughs> that is the circle of life, actually, yes. <laughs> 
Uh, also in the vegetable spectrum, we have someone says zucchini. Mm-hmm. Classic. Mm-hmm. Um, the battery end of an electric toothbrush. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Pillows. Yeah. Inflatable C3PO chair from the early 2000s. That is so specific. I like how they dated it. And the nose of a huge Winnie the Pooh plush. <laughs> I had a stuffed elephant when I was a kid and I, I like humped the trunk. Yeah. Sounds it's very normal for kids. Normal. Yeah. Yeah. Masturbation is like, I mean, I was reading in uh, Sex for One by Betty Dodson just glancing through that earlier and she said something about how it's like the first way we discover ourselves sexually which she's not the first person to have said that but such a good reminder Mm -hmm. someone says mostly dry i masturbate but i've used tiger bomb oh i oh god i don't know i actually don't know um i i Ooh, <laughs> it, I don't. I don't know if you're supposed to put that on like. Um. Oh my gosh, what is the word? Oh, I forgot it. Never mind. Your genitalia. Well, no. <laughs> uh, what's like? Yes, but what's like? Uh, oh, mucous membranes. Right. Like, are you? I don't know if you're supposed to put that on mucus. Okay, sounds painful. I don't recommend that, but okay. We'll say you can uh, probably substitute with uh, some body safe um, oils that will do something similar in terms of um, increasing your sensitivity or having tingling sensations. Oh, totally. Yeah, I can recommend a couple. Ask me. Just ask me. No tiger bomb. <laughs> Hairbrush handle. Someone says marker. Mm-hmm. Okay. A pen. Ooh, a pen by laying on my stomach and rolling it back and forth. Huh. That's cool. We got another pillow, electric toothbrush. A guy says, I'm a straight cis guy. I tried a cucumber. I wanted to see what it felt like, but I don't like penis. <laughs> That's fair. Sounds like you don't like cucumber, but. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a, yeah. Hairbrush, screwdriver handle, shampoo bottles. I would put something over the shampoo bottle because I'd be afraid of getting like a yeasty like soap. Mm-hmm. Someone says extra large paint markers. The plastic packaging test tube thingy that toothbrushes come in. Hmm. Oh, okay. Sorry. Last one. A fully cleaned before, they say in all caps, mom's vibrator. (laughs) Oh. Okay. No, sorry. Wait. One more. One more. This person says, for my first time, a plastic toy frog. (laughs) So I mean, that's you heard funny here, folks. because the Nimbus 2000 toy, have you heard about this? Oh, I remember that, yep. the Harry Potter. Yeah, Mattel had Re- to recall Tell it. the folks, <laughs> tell the folks who don't remember. Because this was like, what, in 2004? I think it was 2001, right? A long time yeah, ago. Yeah, yeah. So Harry Potter. <laughs> A whole 20 years ago. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So back when Harry Potter uh, and the Sorcerer's Stone came out, there was obviously every kid wanted a Nimbus 2000 at that point. So Mattel came out with a Nimbus 2000 that kids could ride around um, as you would in between your legs. And they also made it vibrate so that you could feel like you were flying. And it was quickly recalled. 
Uh, because parents became extremely concerned that their kids were enjoying their toys a little bit too much. Um, yeah. <laughs> can you, can you imagine too, like, cause I've known people whose parents were like, oh no, Harry Potter is the devil because it has to do with like wizards and stuff. Can uh-huh. you imagine being a parent <laughs> where you're like, okay, fine, I'll get the toy. And then you're like, no, <laughs> Like all your sex shame and all your God shame, whatever's coming up all at the same time. Like, I hope no kids got too terribly shamed. I because, like, what get the, the hell? feeling a lot of kids got shamed um, because if yeah. someone's going to complain yeah. on the Internet, they definitely complain to their kids. So, yeah, very true. Very true. So let's see what's happening these days. Um, Washington State in the U.S. last year passed, I think it was like referendum 90. For the first time, they mandated K through 12 inclusive and accurate sex education information. And so people freaked the hell out because they were like, oh my God, you're going to teach my kindergartner to have sex. But as you know, Vic, and as I know, sex ed for kindergarten typically means something like being able to label your own body parts, like when you go to the bathroom or basic, like really basic consent. Like if someone doesn't want to be touched, you know, respect their no, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Um, Apparently in what state is this? So I'm looking at a Daily Mail article. This is in New York City. Dalton school first graders were shown a video from amaze.org, which is a sex education series, amaze. Um, Parents are mad because masturbation was mentioned in that. Um, I really like amaze, so I'd be interested to see what they were mad about or if they saw the segment. And also parents are mad that the classes instructed kids that they don't need to be hugged if they don't consent to it. Um, so parents at an elite private school are furious. <laughs> so I guess, um, my question to you is, do you think we'll be seeing more articles like this as sex educators continue to push for more inclusive and like age aware info? Um, honestly, I, I don't know because it really depends on how things are carried out. This sort of question it, it really boils down to the age-old question, no matter where you fall on the spectrum of what you think sex ed for kids should look like. It, it's about who is responsible for the child's education. Is it the government? Is it the state? Is it the school? Or is it the parent themselves, right? Um, and mm-hmm. that's a really hard question. I think that it, it's pretty divisive. Um, I think that no matter where you fall on that, it's possible to think about what the purpose of this was and how people are interpreting it. Um, so mm-hmm. the parents, <laughs> it, it's really funny to me that it's Dalton, uh, one of the most prestigious private schools for little children out there in New York City. Um, oh, you're familiar with it. I, I, I've heard of it. I have friends who grew up in Manhattan, and I think Dalton has this very uh, strong reputation. (laughs) Um, 
Yeah. So, I mean, one thing that I just really want people to remember, which they don't in these conversations, is that one in 10 people are sexually assaulted before they turn 18. And one fifth of these individuals are sexually assaulted before they turn eight. So this was first graders Mm -hmm. and first graders are actually right about that age. Mm -hmm. Um, That's Mm -hmm. something that I think is really under addressed in this country right now. And being sexually abused Mm -hmm. as a child leads to all sorts of really horrible consequences for you later in life. Often it's compared to Mm -hmm. like having post-traumatic stress but for your entire life and it can really mess up things it's a it's actually a predictor for uh, smoking and self-harm and suicidal tendencies yeah so it's a huge issue oh yeah and it's it's painful right now that we seem to be so scared of telling kids that it's okay to masturbate um, and for the record, the, the video didn't actually use the word masturbate. I think that it said something along the lines of it had this kid walk onto the screen. It's animated. Um, and the kid was like, sometimes when I touch my penis, it feels good. And um, that's about it. <laughs> it wasn't like this is how to masturbate for little children. Um, we're so scared of children being aware of their genitals. We're so scared of seeing our children sexually active but also masturbation amongst kids is really different than masturbation amongst adults it's really about self-discovery it's like whoa i didn't know my body Mm -hmm. could do that um it's more sensual than Mm -hmm. sexual and it's kind of the building blocks for their burgeoning journey to figure out Mm -hmm. how their body works it's really different than masturbation from adults and i do think there is some amount of projection going on and this desire to protect the innocence of the child that reflects a lot of the ideas of virginity as well. Yeah. I think people that have their own sexual shame, they're, mm, I could be wrong. I think a lot of things are going on. I think people who have their own sexual shame also don't want their kids to engage in the stuff that they engage in and feel weird about. So if they're like, oh, I watch porn, but society tells me that there's something wrong with that. Therefore, I need to prevent my child from doing the wrong thing that I also feel weird about that I do. (laughs) Feels like projection. Right, right. Um, It's it's weirdly like, okay, I think it's something around um, like 80% of fathers match their sons and whether or not they've been circumcised or uncircumcised. It's yeah. the same idea. Like that's actually the determining yeah. factor of whether or not your child will be circumcised. It's not yep. for health reasons. It's not for your beliefs about sanitation. Um, similarly, like we project a lot onto our child when it comes to how they're going to navigate their first steps mm-hmm. into their sexual journey. So what are some resources that have been helpful for your learning. Earlier, I recommended um, Sex for One by the now late Betty Dodson. Can you think of any? Well, that that article brought to mind Advocates for Youth, which is um, the nonprofit organization that actually made that website with those resources available. It is this amazing national um, organization that actually empowers young people to take charge of changing the sex ed programs in their school. So whether that's like HIV screenings or um, STI education or masturbation education, it's really putting 
the power in the hands of the people. I would say also Instagram mm-hmm. is great if you know where to find people. Um, like, for example, I think it's there's a really amazing amount of disability sex advocates out there that I think are crucial for us understanding the landscape as it is rather than this very sterilized uh, version of sexuality that we see on TV. So um, Cripping Up Sex with Ava or Roses Are Spread um, or Disability After Dark with Andrew Gerza. Those are great um, people to add to your feed. I really love cute little fuckers. Um, Have you heard of them? No. (laughs) That's delightful. Okay. Cute little fuckers is they're they're amazing. Um, they are the first sex toy uh, company that was successfully funded through Kickstarter, and they do completely ungendered sex toys, um, and they're all shaped like little aliens, basically. So you can use them no matter um, what gender you are, what genitalia you, you are. They're branded in a very non-gendered way, which is really rare in the sex toy world. Um, so I really That's appreciate so cool. that. Yeah, I love that. And lastly, thank you for all those recommendations. Vic, do you have any sex tips for our audience? Hmm. I think my biggest sex t- tip has a lot to do with um, this kind of larger conversation that has been burgeoning. A lot of it led by Black feminist writers like Adrian Marie Brown with Pleasure Activism. Have you read uh, pleasure activism. I have that book. Yeah, I have not read all of it. I do. I okay. got the book a couple months ago. There's a fantastic chapter in there about sex work called "Fuck You, Pay Me," um, and mm-hmm. I read it one morning, and it like changed my week. I went around being angry. <laughs> um, really? Anyways, in Ooh, a really good way. In a really good way. Um, it just talked about how there's so much misogyny just built into our brains in a way that we don't even acknowledge. Um, this is a total aside. <laughs> but no, it's in, not. in general, Adrienne Marie Brown, um, Audre Lorde, and Sonia Renee Taylor, I think they have just some fantastic insight into how to build a new, more positive relationship with your body that's different from the one that we were all handed growing up. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think at the heart of it is finding, like searching for joy rather than any other feeling when it comes to sex. I think that that's a really revolutionary thought to me because we enter the sex world with all of these ideas of who we should be, like how we should be when it comes to sex, what we should do, what we shouldn't do. And if you can kind of put all of that aside, put aside like how you think your body should work and just kind of figure out how to find joy within your body and ignore all of these like external signals of what success sexually looks like. I think that's Mm -hmm. the best tip I have for anyone. That and breathe. Don't forget to breathe. Breathing is great. (laughs) Ah, I love it. I love that so much. Thank you for coming on Vic Liu find them at bang for all on instagram and follow me stripperwriter.com thank you for listening to they talk sex podcast until next time <laughs>